millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to episode number 60 of the Scottish History Podcast. My name is Owen Innes and this week we're continuing on our UNESCO World Heritage Sites little mini-series. And today we're going to be talking about the new town of Edinburgh. So please join me for episode number 60 of the Scottish History Podcast. So when you enter into Edinburgh's new town, you wouldn't really think that there was much new to it. However, if you have spent all day checking out the old town first, and then travelled down the area called The Mound to Prince's Street, you will then see the difference. Before the new town was built, aside from the old town, one of its most common features was a loch. Now this loch, which was in the shadow of Edinburgh Castle, was however not a place you would like to visit, uh, like people do now of Loch Lomond or Loch Ness. The Nor Loch, or the North Loch to translate, was a pool of water which other pools and streams of water flowed into. Now, in the old town, there was no inside bathrooms. There was no outside bathrooms either. In each tenement, there was a bucket, also known as a chamber pot which when this bucket or pot was full, it was simply emptied out onto the street. Now, to clarify, this was number ones and number twos. Edinburgh's old town had roughly a population of 50,000 people, and this was during the mid-18th century. So you can imagine what the state of the place was like, and the smell To give warning that you were about to dump your, well, dump out onto the street from a height of up to 14 storeys, you would shout the French phrase, Gardez l'eau, which then became anglicised to Gardez l'eau, giving us the term l'eau for toilet. And simply, it meant watch out for the water. Apparently, from the highest height, the splashback from this mess being thrown from 14 storeys high could reach up to the second storey windows. Lovely. In 1749, the Nastiness Act 
was passed, now meaning that waste could only be thrown out of the windows between 10pm and that was on the sounding of the bells from St Giles Cathedral and 7am the following morning. To this day, this act is still active. However, the practice had died out by the 1930s with the introduction to the old town of Edinburgh with proper sanitation and sewage drains. The new town was an idea to solve the overcrowding of the old town and to bring wealthy Scots back to the city who had mostly now moved down to London. The first cry for the new town was presented by the then Duke of Albany and York, who happened to be the future King James VII of Scotland and Second of England. Now we already know what happened to him. But it was in January in 1766 that 23-year-old designer James Craig won a competition to design the new town. Some say that the design was resembling of the new Union of Parliaments and that with its linear pattern, it was almost like the Union flag. Now, the first stage of the old town building would feature the building of grand houses and large wide streets with plenty of garden space. The principal street names were to be George Street, named after the King, Queen Street to be named after the Queen, and St Giles Street to be named after the patron saint of Edinburgh. Now, King George refused the suggestion that a street should be called St Giles Street, as St Giles was also the patron of lepers, so instead this street was named as Prince's Street, after his son, the Prince of Wales. That's right, it is Prince's, not Princess. So it's Prince's Street, as in one or more Prince, not Princess. At either end were to be built two large garden squares, St Andrew's Square named after the patron saint of Scotland and St George's Square after the patron saint of England. Again, George refused St George's due to another area of Edinburgh already being called St George's Square. Instead, it was to be named Charlotte Square after his wife. There was then to be two smaller alley streets that were going to be named Thistle Street after the Scottish emblem and Rose Street after the English emblem. You can start to see a little bit of a pattern going on here. However, the two western blocks of Thistle Street, there's kind of four blocks in total, so the two western ones of uh, blocks of Thistle Street were changed uh, to be called Hill Street and Young Street. No reason was given as to why this is, but this now means that Thistle Street is half the length of Rose Street. Figure that one out. The final three streets of the design were Castle Street, not surprising as you can see the castle from it, Frederick Street after George's second son Frederick, and Hanover Street to represent the House of Hanover. The building began for the first section of the new town in 1767 at a place called Thistle Court and the first stage of the new town was mainly completed with Charlotte Square in 1820. 
Whilst being built as an almost residential suburb of the city, soon the commercial potential of Edinburgh was realised, mainly on Prince's Street, where today pretty much the entire street is filled with businesses and hotels. Now, upon the success of the first stage of the new town building, a second phase was proposed and accepted. By 1800, the plan now was to extend the new town northwards, beginning at Queen Street and working its way downhill to the water of Leith. The main builder in charge for this particular section was a man called George Winton. Most of Winton's buildings still stand as they were built to this day as a mixture of large townhouses and they were on the streets that ran from east to west and tenement flats on the streets that ran from north to south. Gradually, the area of Stockbridge was taken under the new town, with painter Henry Rayburn redeveloping quite a lot of it. In 1822, the Earl of Murray had his Drums Hugh estate redeveloped, with the majority completed by 1835. Now, this area was a big hit with the wealthiest people in the city, and still is today. The Drumshoe area is still regarded as the most affluent area in Edinburgh with some very, very high property prices. The third phase was started really in 1815 when the Lord Provost of Edinburgh, Sir John Marjorie Banks, had the Regent's Bridge built. This now allowed access over a steep ravine from Prince's Street over onto Colton Hill. This third phase included the building of Regent's Terrace, which is today where the American Embassy is, as well as the now derelict Royal High School. Also built was Royal Terrace and Carlton Terrace, however the plans to extend the third phase northwards down into Leith were never completed and were scrapped completely. Another grand feature of Edinburgh's new town is the wonderful North Bridge. Now this is actually the second bridge that was built on the same site. In 1763 the first foundation stone of the first North Bridge was laid and this was after one section of the previously mentioned Norloch was drained so that a bridge could be built. Now the bridge was built to connect the old town and the new towns together. Due, however, to loose rock and several other design flaws, part of this bridge collapsed on the 3rd of August 1769 and unfortunately killed five people. This portion was rebuilt and then subsequently reopened in 1772. In 1894, the building of the current bridge commenced and that was completed three years later in 1897. The bridge was built by Sir William Arrell and Company, the same company who would build another one of Scotland's UNESCO World Heritage Sites that we will talk about in the next episode, the Fourth Bridge. The bridge now spans over Waverley Train Station, named after the series of books by Sir Walter Scott. The bridge also features a war memorial in the centre of it. Today, the bridge is undergoing major repair works, but hopefully soon, the bridge will return back to its former glory. To end then, we know what happened now to one part of the Norloch, but what happened to the rest of it? 
Between 1813 and 1820, the long process of draining the rest of the Norloch was undertaken. During the course of the draining, many bodies were found during this task as many women had been drowned in the loch as witches. Now this is again a topic which we will get onto, the Edinburgh witch trials, etc. Uh, so we'll get onto that in the future. Now, after the draining, the Norloch was converted into the lovely Prince's Street Gardens. Now you know why this area is as lush and as green as it is today. Think back to the beginning of the episode if you can't get it. The East Prince's Street Gardens contain statues of Adam Black, the explorer David Livingston and the Walter Scott Monument. Every Christmas it also holds the annual Christmas market, a market where a pint of beer will cost you £9. £9 to drink a beer outside when it's wet and cold? Yes, please. Anyway, West Princess Street Gardens features the amazing floral clock. This is a working clock made out of flowers, if you didn't guess. It also has four air raid shelters still in situ. The Ross Bandstand is still used today, and this is where I actually saw Idlewild and Garbage perform on the day that the devolved Scottish Parliament reopened. Pretty cool. The newly restored Ross Fountain is also a wonderful sight to see if you're in the gardens. Now there are also a few statues, with one of them being James Young Simpson. He's the man who discovered chloroform. I wonder how he found out about chloroform. And of course the statue of Wojciech the Bear that I also talked about in a previous episode. So folks, once again, if there is anything that I have missed in today's episode, please let me know. You can do so via the website. That again is scotthistorypod.com. You can send me an email at scotthistorypod at gmail.com. You can find me on all of the social media, being Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the Scottish History Podcast or Scott History Pod. And lastly, if you wish to donate to help with the running costs of this podcast, please feel free to do so on Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And on there you can donate monthly to help keep the podcast going, basically. So, folks, um, thank you very much once again. I will speak to you again next time where we will learn about the fourth bridge. Speak to you again next time. Truly hydrated skin, Mito Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. 
It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.